Well, we're continuing this series, What If Jesus Was Serious? And we're looking at one of the most significant messages ever shared on our planet. And our hope is that through this, if you're exploring God, you'll see what it really means to follow Jesus, because it's very different than what you might see Christianity seen as on the news. And if you're here and you follow Jesus, our hope is this will help you realign with God's heart for how we're to live. When I was in college, I went through this experience called poverty simulation. We were basically homeless for a weekend. And it was a really challenging experience. The first morning, we, after sleeping outside, we went to a Goodwill and we had to get rid of our clothes and buy what they had. And I was actually quite proud of my selection. I had some shoes that were really nice, and, and, and yet throughout the day, it was amazing how people looked at us differently. They thought we were homeless, and at one point we were in line for food at a homeless shelter and ended up in conversation with a guy, and just hearing his story, it really just softened my heart for the predicament he found himself in, and I noticed he kept looking at my shoes and even asked where I got them. And again, I was really proud of these shoes. Like these were keepers, not just for when I'm homeless weekend, like all the time kind of shoes. And uh, I felt this little nudge. And so I asked him if we could trade. And he took my sweet little uh, sneakers and I got his uh, penny loafers without the pennies. And I kept them for a long time to remember that experience. But I remember going to church on that next morning after another night sleeping outside and we hadn't showered all weekend. We'd been finding food wherever we could find it. And I felt so judged. I wanted to tell people, hey, I'm just pretending. This isn't real. But the way they looked at us, the way we were treated, it really changed my perspective in so many different ways. It was such a powerful experience that I, I took our youth group through it. I was a youth pastor when I was 19, and man, one of the kids was really good at being homeless. Like, he, he came back making money on the weekend. And, uh, but I have to tell you, when you feel judged, it's, it's, it's not a pleasant experience, is it? I mean, I want you to think for a moment of a time recently in your life when you were judged. When people looked at you in that way, that you could tell they thought of you as less than them. It's an awful experience. When you were judged, how did it feel? How did others treat you? See, in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, we're looking at what Jesus said about judging others. If you've missed any of the series, by the way, I want to encourage you to always go back and listen. If you have to miss on a Sunday, you can do that at our main website or at our YouTube channel. But as you heard read today by David, do not judge or you too will be judged. It's pretty, it sounds good when you hear David reading it. But if you can imagine yourself being out in this crowd 2,000 years ago, and Jesus said some of these things, it would, it would be hard to hear. It may even be hard to hear now. Some of us love this, this verse. 
because we feel like others have judged us and this allows us to keep others at length, to protect our egos. But what Jesus really is trying to do here is to get all of us to acknowledge if we're not careful, we judge others too. Put another way, if Jesus was serious, then instead of seething with judgment, we need eyes to start seeing with love. When Jesus says, do not judge, he's reiterating what he shared earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, the fifth beatitude was when he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And what Jesus shares about judgment here is almost a reintroduction of this idea, but said in the inverse, those who are merciful will be shown mercy. Those who judge will be judged. It's similar to this idea of you reap what you sow. There's a spiritual principle in life. How you treat others is how you will be treated. I can't remember where I first heard this phrase, but it really has helped me in some ways. Be kind because you never know what the person you're talking to is going through. See, so often we come to judgment, we come to quick closure on what's wrong with everyone else around us, not seeing them as humans, not seeing them as created in the image of God. And Jesus is trying to right-size the way we view the world. See, one way of defining mercy is that we withhold our judgment towards others. We see the imago Dei, the image of God in them. Even in those that offend us, that hurt us. And it becomes an ongoing practice that we can develop to extend mercy, to assume the best, rather than judge them. Now, how we define mercy, whether it's withholding judgment for others who may deserve it, or being oriented towards forgiveness. It's also important to know how to define judgment, because judgment can be understood in a lot of different ways these days. So let's first talk about what Jesus is not talking about. Jesus is not saying, let's toss out discernment and wisdom. He's not talking about a world without accountability. In fact, we talk about running partners, spiritual running partners, by the way. Somebody was new to Gateway and thought we were all just active runners. And do, some of you are, some of you do marathons and half marathons, but for the rest of us, it's spiritual running partners. It's people that are at about the same place in your life, spiritually, that you can share life with. They can really know you and all the struggles, and you can know them. You can speak into their life, and they can speak into yours. They help you from living a life without anyone pointing out blind spots. See, he's not advocating for a kind of universal acceptance that turns a, a blind eye to evil or injustice. See, Jesus wants us to respect differences and love others who may believe, think, and live differently than us. And as followers of Jesus, this is really one of those things that should set us apart. Unfortunately, too often it does not. Too often we are seen as the most judgmental, the most hypocritical. And so when things in our world take place, it's immediate that our world starts to take sides. And if you're not on their side, then you are against them. And that's what makes 
navigating this world as a follower of Jesus so difficult? It's easier to just play sides, isn't it? But see, we actually have navigated these last few years with Jesus at the forefront because we believe that we should honor the police. And maybe you've heard of the tragedy that happened in our neighborhood just this weekend, a police officer shot and killed here in South Austin, and we mourn with his family. But we also do not believe that people should be treated differently because of the color of their skin by the authorities, that everyone should be treated kindly with equality under the law. And so we mourn the people of Israel that actually suffered tremendous evil at the hands of terrorists. But we also grieve with those that are in the Palestinian territories who are suffering. It's this important thing that we as followers of Jesus see the image of God in every single person, that we acknowledge out loud that God loves everyone. But it does not mean that it's okay for injustice. In fact, we are for peaceful protest, but we are not for and for hate speech. It's so important that we not just get lumped in with one side or the other as the world would want us to be. So what is judging? According to Jesus, judging it refers to condemning others in our hearts. It's being hypercritical of others, viewing others as less human, giving others that judgy gaze. As a kid growing up, loved getting to see my extended family. Many of you know I'm from here. In fact, I've been going through all my mom's old pictures and digitizing them. And we have family from Georgetown and San Marcos back in the 1890s, all the way up until today. In fact, I found out my grandma used to live in Menchaca, right here in South Austin, when she was a toddler. I didn't know that until recently. But I can tell you growing up, as much as I love my extended family on both sides, it was a family tradition as we drove away to talk about all the ridiculous things that our cousins and aunts and uncles were doing. I don't know about you, but that was kind of like a family tradition. We smile, we hug, and then we judge them on the way home, right? <laughs> oh yeah, well I heard this, oh my gosh, right? That's not how we're designed to foster healthy community. And when others know we're judging them, it leads to paralysis, to fear, to self-doubt. Maybe you've felt some of those things before. These things, things happen to people when we become hypercritical of them. We end up tearing them down, focusing on the mistakes so much that we lose sight of protecting and preserving the person's dignity. Both condemnation and hypercriticism are not from the heart of God. When we think about what it means to be fully human together, it's important to look at God's posture towards us because God models what true humanity looks like. And what we find in Scripture is that God calls us from a place of conviction, not condemnation. And if that's true, then God doesn't lead from a place of condemnation or judgment. Then neither should we. See, when you and I might be overwhelmed with the bad news that we hear on TV or see on Facebook, 
our best response is to bring more of the kingdom of light into the world in which we live. It's to be those that are extending mercy and kindness, being a listening ear, being a friend when others have abandoned someone. It's by extending kindness. See, Jesus offers us a warning. Don't judge or you too will be judged. So it seems a little contradictory because Jesus is telling us not to judge, but then is God gonna judge us? Well, here's the thing. God is transcendent. He is perfect. He is holy. And he is just. And one day we will all stand before God in judgment. I'm actually reading through the book of Revelation right now. Some of you have been following along all year as we've been going through the New Testament. Been creating these little, whoop, creating these little video devotionals. And I am so excited to almost be done. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've ever, if you've ever, uh, if you haven't been doing it, you can join in social media. You can just find me, or, or just join us for the end of the year. Or maybe if there's ever a passage of scripture, you're like, I don't know what this means. You can go and look it up, and the little one minute, two minute thing I did on it might help you. But as I'm reading Revelation, it's a hard book, and it's interesting because a book I've been reading to help me with it is called Revelation for the Rest of Us by Dr. Scott McKnight. And he says something in it that I thought was very helpful. See, in the book of Revelation, it describes God's judgment. And if you are not an oppressed person, when you read it, it seems incredibly harsh. But if you've experienced oppression, and there are people on our planet right now that because of their faith, their life is in jeopardy. They've lost access to resources to even survive. They've faced persecution at a level that we may never understand. When you are the oppressed, the idea of God making all things right brings a great deal of hope. See, God does not want anyone to face condemnation. He offers his grace and mercy to every single one of us. And people from every tribe and tongue and nation has the opportunity to say yes. But God does not force us into his presence. God essentially says, I'm fully giving you what you want and what you've chosen for yourself. And for some, it might be a life apart from him on this side of eternity and beyond. But if we say yes, we actually experience the presence of God. That's a glimpse of heaven now and into eternity. In verse 2, he says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what is he talking about? Jesus is pointing to the measures his culture would use to figure out how much grain or salt you're buying. It's like how we measure things by teaspoons or tablespoons or cups, at least here in America. Have you ever been overseas? Everyone else uses liters and centimeters. When I was a kid, they told us, we're gonna switch to the metric system. It has not yet happened. We're the only people on the planet that still use this system. But like we measure, however you judge others, that same measure will be used against you. I don't know about you, but that puts a little bit of healthy fear in me. 
What if I were to begin to see people the way God sees them? What if I didn't feel the need to tear someone down in order to feel the significance that I already have is created in the image of God? If God were to judge us today based on our measure, would we experience an abundance of mercy or an abundance of condemnation and judgment? R.K. Hughes says it this way, the tone of your life is going to become the tone of your judgment. Or Thomas Kempis, Kempis says this, how rarely, we weigh, how rarely we weigh our neighbor in the same balance in which we weigh ourselves. Kind of makes us not want to judge others, doesn't it? See, if Jesus was serious, then condemning others has no place in our hearts as those who are in the kingdom of God. Religion, self-righteousness, and the abuse of power are always recipe for disaster. And if we're taking Jesus seriously, then we have to begin with humility and charity. Remembering who we are, that we all need God. We all need community to help us grow. And when we opt out, it's like we're saying that they need more help than I need. When we feel like everything is fine for ourselves and others need more help than us, we're forgetting who we really are and maybe even where we've come from. Are we willing to see the best in others even when it appears that they are acting from the worst of themselves? This doesn't mean that we throw out discernment or wisdom or stop pursuing justice. We need God to help protect our hearts from condemning or judging others or making others less human in our hearts. Jesus goes on to use a couple of illustrations to help make this point. Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite, first take out the plank from your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You and I are no better than the person sitting next to us. Do we have the self-awareness to realize that we might actually have a plank in our own eye? That we have blind spots? That's why being in community is so important. Having others willing to speak into your life. I've often said about Gateway, this is a, a loving community, which means anyone is welcome and we're willing to have the hard conversations. There are people here that love us enough that as you get to know them, we'll help you not miss the things you may be missing. Instead of judging others with our eyes and our, in our hearts, we can invite God to speak to us, to reveal to us what we might need healing from. There's this beautiful psalm in 130, Psalm 139 that gives us an example of what we might pray. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting life. See, all of us need help seeing ourselves and others clearly and rightly, and regularly asking God to help us in this can be a practice that protects us, to having a healthy view of others and a healthy view of ourselves. Jesus uses another illustration to help us with this. He says in verse six, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So who are the dogs? What's sacred? Who are the pigs? What are the pearls? 
In essence, what Jesus is saying, there are people in our lives and in our world who won't want to hear God's truth and God's heart for them. See, God's truth, the gospel, the message of Jesus, that you are loved by God, that you are separated from him, but you can access God through forgiveness that comes through Jesus. That is what's of great value. That's what's sacred. And we should never try to force on others what we believe. We should never try to force on someone else our ethics. We should offer kindness and advice, especially if they're open. But we should never force something on someone where there's no openness. And he's not calling people pigs or dogs. He's saying that it's like giving a 16-year-old Maltipoo a new carpet to pee on, right? It's like giving a, a pig pearls. It's just gonna eat it up. It doesn't understand its value. Jesus isn't saying that people around us are dogs or pigs. He is saying that the message of Jesus is sacred, that God's truth is invaluable. And when we have people that we care for in our life that are open, our prayers should be for a softer heart, to love them, serve them, and look for the opportunity when the time is right to share with them what we've found. But see, too often we forget where we used to be. I remember in Los Angeles helping a friend of mine follow Jesus, and he had been through so much, and he was a real mess. In fact, the whole context of this meaningful conversation happened because his wife left him over some of his behavior. And within just a couple weeks of him finding Jesus, he was really transforming, but he also was starting to judge her for the kind of life that she's living, one that he was living just 14 days prior. It was amazing how in our hearts, how quick we are to move towards that place. People are not projects. They deserve to be honored and cared for and loved. We need to remember that if Jesus was serious, then instead of seething with judgment, we need eyes to start seeing with love. I mean, think about it for a moment. What if you were to, des to decide today, you know what, I'm going to leave this place and I will not judge anyone again. It will, might last all the way until someone cuts you off in the parking lot <laughs> when you're leaving. See, it's impossible to pull off without God's help. We cannot see ourselves or other people rightly without asking him to help us. Our own brokenness, our own wounds will keep us from that in our own power. We need Jesus to heal us. And that's why in this passage, he moves from judging to prayer. It seems like they wouldn't connect, but in many ways, it makes perfect sense. Verse 7 Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, to heal our hearts and to help us become people filled with mercy instead of judgment, Jesus turns to prayer. 
Or more specifically, he encourages us to turn to God the Father. Why is that? Because he knows that for so many of us, how we judge one another and how we show up in these broken ways with others comes from a place of our own woundedness. Hurt people hurt people. And we've all been hurt. And I know God as a father can be difficult for some of us because of how we may have been treated by our father, perhaps never knowing him or wishing you hadn't or somewhere in between. But God wants to come alongside of us and to heal us and restore us as only a perfect, loving, heavenly father who can be trusted can. See, Jesus redirects us back to the goodness of God to encounter God through prayer. Jesus makes an argument that it's a bit unexpected. He roots the goodness of God in the fact that even the biggest jerk out there tries to do well for his kids. Even that jerk has a soft spot for their children. And even though we may struggle with evil inside of us, Jesus says, we all know how to give good gifts to our kids. Of course, there are some exceptions. But for the most part, we want to do right by our children if we have kids. But we cannot love, be there, care for our children the same way that our Heavenly Father can care for us. It's so difficult to express this. But if you've ever experienced God's love, his unconditional love, when you've come to him asking for forgiveness, asking for help, when you sense his presence and his peace, it's, it's a glimpse of heaven on earth. And it's something each of us can experience. Not just when we first come to follow him, but it's something that we can experience every day as we pursue him, as we make him the priority in our life. And he brings healing, and we can bring that healing to others. Do you know that you can ask God the Father for anything? I, I, I love it when my kids call. They're young adults now, so it doesn't happen as much as you would want, perhaps. But even when they have a need, like for help with the parking permit that I already filled out four months ago, things like that, I'm always still glad when my kids call. I want to be a good father like my heavenly father. But I can't do it without his help. What about you? Mark Batterson said, you miss 100% of the prayers you don't pray. Just go to God. Take all the big feelings, the emotion, the anger, the hurt, the injustice. Take all that you feel to him. We read in the Psalms, David did this all the time. His Psalms were filled with all sorts of angry prayers. And they would usually end, but even still, I will trust you. As awful as things may have been for him, and they were terrible at times, as he was running for his life, he still trusted God, regardless of circumstances. So we can come to God, and it's not just telling him what we need, it's learning to hear his voice 
Prayer is communication with him. One of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, says this. The problem is not that we're too eager to ask for wrong things. The problem is that we are not nearly eager enough to ask for the right things. Prayer puts us in a posture of depending on God. See, when we begin to pray, when we begin to see God for who he is, to see ourselves as who we are, then our hearts begin to thaw. We release our judgments because we've encountered a God who does not lead with judgment. And we start to see others with new eyes. Prayer is usually where we stop this passage, but this section is sandwiched between another section before it on not judging and the golden rule right after it. See, Jesus is showing us there's a better way to relate to each other. Rather than judging and manipulating to get our own way, Jesus teaches us to go to God, to, to know and experience the Father's love, to grow in self-awareness, to heal, to learn humility, to extend mercy to those around us. Look at verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, no matter what background you may be, the golden rule might sound familiar. There's a version of it in most world religions. But what sets it apart in the Christian faith is that it's rooted in the notion that we can only do this out of the overflow of God's goodness in our lives. Left to our own devices, we can only aspire to live out the golden rule. For most of us, even as we acknowledge how good this teaching is, we know that we live a step or two below it. And that's at best. For some of us, we live at the level we'll call the silver rule. Don't do to others what you don't want done to you. That's certainly better than intentionally harming someone, but it's not quite the golden rule. The silver rule settles for self-preservation and disengagement. But then some of us might operate from what's called, or at least we'll call it, the wooden rule. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But when we live at this base level, Gandhi said it best, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. If Jesus was serious, then the golden rule is not passive, but rather an active lifestyle. Listen to it again. Verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus invites us into a life that actually actively seeks the best of others, always. We begin to stop and think, if I was this person in this moment, what would I want said or done for me? Or when you sense that judgment is welling up within your heart, what if you just paused and asked, in the words of Dr. Becky Kennedy, what's the most generous interpretation of this person's behavior? This requires empathy, self-awareness, and eyes to see with love instead of judgment. It isn't about simply doing no harm or tolerating each other. Jesus gives us a third option for what's best. That if we were to live by the golden rule, we would bring more of heaven to where we work, to where we live, to our relationships. We can't do this on our own. It's impossible to live out the golden rule without God's help. And the way to experience that help is by going to the cross daily. It's a place where Jesus looked at you and me 
He didn't judge or condemn. Remember, he said, even on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And when we go to the cross, we see that he takes upon himself all of our mistakes, all of our evil choices, all of our sin. And when we ask for forgiveness, he not only forgives us, he empowers us with a spirit, his spirit, to live a new life, that we can live this new life out of gratitude. So how do we battle judgment? We look at the cross. We see ourselves as he sees us. We ask to see others the way he sees them. If Jesus was serious, then instead of seething with judgment, we need to let God give us eyes to see with love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, our world is filled with all sorts of division and angst and anxiety. God, we come to you in this moment and we ask for a sense of your peace and your presence. God, that we could rise above the ways of the world, that we could extend mercy and kindness and love to those around us. God, if there's anyone here who needs that kindness and mercy, may they find it first and foremost in you. Give them the courage even now to ask for your forgiveness, for your leadership in their lives. And God, thank you that each day is a new day, a chance to start afresh. God, search our hearts, help us to know what we need in our lives, that we might not only extend mercy, but receive the mercy we need. That we would step into community, we'd step into serving others with others. We would allow you to help us along the way, not try to do this on our own. Thank you, God, that you first loved us.